0: I think at the end of the day, NOMA closing is a very sad day. I think that what they added to the culinary landscape of the world has made a huge difference. And, you know, like I wish I could have worked there for two weeks for free. I would have worked there for free. I would go there now and work for free 100 percent because now I can afford it. But I like when I was 22 or 23, I couldn't afford to do that. Right. So. You know, it, it, it goes back to this thing. It's like, so what's the, tell me what the, what the difference is. What is the difference between going to culinary school, learning a bunch of fucking bullshit, right? For two years, having a bill that's 60 grand deep, more, that you have to live with for the rest of your life. Or going to work somewhere that's for two months that you learn like hands-on experience. And listen, there's a good chance for the first two weeks you're going to peel potatoes you're going to peel carrots, you're going to do shit cuz they don't trust you to do anything else. No one's telling you to butcher a partridge. When you just came out of culinary school and you've only been there for a week. Like yeah, like what it what tell me what the difference is. Why is it why is it okay to go to culinary school and have this bill that lives over your head for the next 20 years as opposed to going to learn from some of the best in the world and you got to pay for it. Like you know, I I just I don't totally understand it. Welcome
1: to Pang Kong Podcast. It's been a while since we did a wow. guestless episode. Wow. We That's are That's because nobody likes us. I mean fair. Yeah. Uh, we are recording this at the uh, uh, famed the legend of the Pink the Pig Pen. The pig pen. The legend of the pig pen now extends into Pang Kong Podcast. This is where uh, Mike keeps his cars and his ATVs. I don't uh,
0: have any ATVs. Not everything in here is mine. <laughs> like what the fuck?
1: It's also where he keeps uh, his golf carts, uh, electric <laughs> skateboards, uh,
0: all of his scooters are well, docked Well, really, it's here. where I keep the plaque for the chili cook-off and right. uh, my eighth-grade MVP trophy.
1: There you go. Perfect. Um, so... I don't... We're going into this super blind. We don't really have much of a plan. Shock. Great. But I think that in light of the, the car setting that yeah. we're recording in, you have a thing that you want to talk about that I think it's good to lead with before we lose all 22 of our listeners.
0: You think we should lead with it? Okay, we don't have oh, no, to No, we'll lead with we'll, it. We'll lead with it. Yeah, we'll lead with it. Know, so, it's, it's different. Um, it's new. So we'll, we'll talk... I mean, I hope we release this in time, but uh, we'll talk about croquetas in cars, and okay, get, get the fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I hope we caught that somewhere. I hope so. I think it was. Oh, okay. oh, there he is. And there we're he is. taking
0: shots of moonshine. <laughs> oh, moonshine? oh this is moonshine. moonshine! That's moonshine. Yeah. Well, get stop it. hunching hey, over. Man. Like, what are you Hi, doing, you. man? Thank you, man. Jesus Christ, <laughs> where'd they come from? Al makes that. Nice. or i'll buy that from someone that makes it yeah. I, just don't eat whatever fruits at the bottom that's all i'll tell you don't do it no not unless you're in for a long day what is that peach uh or that's peach yeah. but he'll he'll bring peach and strawberry Man, that was good it's the that's the problem is that the moonshine is delicious and you have a couple shots and you're like why do i feel so happy well yeah like, fuck <laughs>
1: um see because you asked me earlier whether moonshine was illegal 100 is i thought this was like <laughs> I thought I thought this was like uh, like the moonshine that they just market as moonshine. No, no, no. no this That's is like, actually somebody I, yeah, making a mason jar. I, I love
0: it. Welcome okay. to cars, man. So get that um, guy, on, get that guy on the First Uber and depression. foremost, for all the people out there, welcome to the. And this is where I spend the majority of my days off because it's far away from lots of things, and it's where I keep my my cars, and also where um, my car club stores some of their cars. So it's a good exit from Workworld, and I'm glad you guys could enjoy it with me. Um, First and foremost, we're doing a humongous, great week. Uh, We had ideas of calling this week the picnic, uh, which we decided not to, just because we're not completely organized to do so, but that week we'll be doing three collaboration dinners, back to back to back. Uh, One of which will be at the Gibson, like we do every month. Another one will be at Ariette. Uh, with Ryan Rutino of Bresca and Jaunt like we did last year and uh, book ended with Friday uh, highlighting Stephanie Izzard from um, Little Goat Girl and the Goat from Chicago and she will be popping up at Chugs that's going to be a very fun uh, family style party uh, is kind of the way that I'm, I'm putting that together but lastly the one that's most important to me is on Sunday. We're doing a quick car show called Croquetas and Cars uh, in the parking lot behind Chugs. Um, And, you know, we're going to have, the goal is to have 25 or 30 cars. Okay. (laughs) 25 or 30 cars. Uh, We're going to do a bunch of raffles. Um, We're going to be selling boxes of croquetas and pastelitos and café con leche for about 20 bucks. But the whole real thing is, is that all the financial whatever, whether it's to rent a spot, to buy uh, the box of croquet and stuff, uh, or join the raffle, all goes to uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Research Society. Uh, so this is 100% for charity, uh, something that's very important to me, near and dear. And, um, you know, it's something that i literally just kind of put together within the last four days and you know i've i've gotten great response from the people from coconut grove uh the guys who own that parking lot because they 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 do have to donate that time to us and um you know i think it'll be a great time so you know if anyone listens to this um the raffle is going to be pretty dope i think we're going to have 12 to 14 prizes everything from you know dinner for two at michael's genuine dinner for two at Laurel. Um, to hopefully a cigar box, which we haven't totally um, put together, to, you know, Fatback Customs Pig Ink merch box. That's going to be cool. So for 25 bucks, you enter the raffle, and you could win a whole bunch of cool shit. So that's my plug, and I guess now we can get into the podcast. Yeah. So
1: uh, I- did we get into how someone – is there like a ticket to buy? We or? we haven't totally
0: gotten in okay. uh, again within the last four days I've kind of put this together and I kind of threw this on my team like Thursday night, Friday morning. Cool. Um, you know, I didn't totally think we were gonna be able to secure a parking lot for it, which is is part of the thing. But you know, within the next three to four days, we're going to social media all okay. the ways. Cool. In order to donate money. And listen, you have a car and you want to put it there for twenty-five bucks, that's cool. If you want to pay a hundred bucks for that spot. That's cool, too. None of that money comes to me. None of that money goes to uh, the company that owns that parking lot. All that company goes to a charity. All that money goes to a charity. And the same thing with the money that goes to food, the money for the raffle. All these people are donating their time on a Sunday morning, and it's really just for for a good cause. Also, we're looking at ways to uh, pair up with be the BeTheMatch.com. Mm-hmm. Which is a website that, you know, basically, you know, send your swabs in, and maybe you could be a donor that could save somebody's life. Good stuff.
1: Thanks to our sponsor, Aganorsa Leaf Cigars.
0: Aganorsa Leaf is renowned throughout the world for its signature flavor that possesses all the great attributes of Nicaraguan terroir, along with classic Cuban aroma and flavor. Aganorsa Leaf is
1: pleased to announce a brand new edition of Guardian of the Farm, Cerberus, named after the mythical three-headed hound that stood watch at the gates of Hades. This exciting new Nicaraguan puro uses 100% Aganorsa Leaf tobacco and is wrapped in Aganorsa's new Corojo 2012 cover leaf, which adds a level of complexity to the blend, adding light spice and a rich, smooth body to the blend.
0: When you smoke one of our world-class blends, you will experience the difference between Ordinary Tobacco and Aganorsa Leaf. That's why we say our leaf is our strength. Learn more about Aganorsa Leaf and use their store locator and find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at com.
1: The two of us smoke Aganorsa Leaf cigars often. We also offer them to a lot of our guests, like, for example, Dave Arvello, who every time I post a picture of a, a Cerberus, mentions to me in my DMs or in a text how cool the band is, which it actually is a pretty slick-looking band. Um, But also, I just want to note, a little personal anecdote here, so it's not all totally straight-up red. I can say that uh, Michael Beltran will absolutely not only vouch for the quality of Aganorsa cigars, but you met a uh, Miami
0: legend and handed him an Aganorsa cigar. I did meet uh, uh, a Miami legend. I was smoking nearby Alonzo morning. And we had a conversation about cigars and he handed me one of his and I went inside. I bought this exact same cigar and I handed Alonzo morning this Aganorso cigar. And I said, try this. Thank me later. I mean, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is.
1: Aganorsoleaf.com. Right. You've heard us talking about the barrel here on Pancom podcast before. It is a sleek barrel style cooker with loads of capacity that represents a new way to grill Gets you great results in a fraction of the time that it would take you to cook, let's say, a rack of ribs
0: on an offset smoker. The legend of the barrel has only gotten greater. They're running around town winning cooking competitions left and right, including taking first place at FIU's North Miami Brewfest for Best Eatery. They're not even an eatery, No, they're not. I'm not saying they could hang with Nick making omelets in the morning, but it's still pretty impressive. Some South Florida chefs have even started to use the Barrel in their restaurants. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for your backyard, trust me.
1: You can get yours at BarrelTheBBQ.com. Use promo code PANGKONG10, that's pankong 10 for 10% off of your purchase. The Barrel is a hand welded barrel style cooker with a chimney at the center of its base and a rail that runs along the circumference at the top. So you can hang ribs, pork belly, whole chicken, salmon, cheeses, dips, sauces, and all manner of other stuff along the edge. Whatever you want. Alternatively, use the grill rack up top to sear meats or grill veggies directly over the coals. Use a pizza stone to cook your favorite pies. The versatility of the barrel is a thing to behold. (laughs) Mike, you've used the barrel. Tell the people about what you did with it.
0: Yeah, my favorite thing with the barrel was actually the grill on top. You know, like obviously you can cook all the meats underneath it, but the fact that you can cook, you know, some veggies on the side or, you know, if you want to cook cheese, I didn't use the pizza stone on top, but that's a very interesting idea. I think that the versatility of the product and the fact that you can cook a whole meal in one barrel, you know, makes it pretty versatile.
1: I mean, a whole bunch of meals. So when I I had some people over for uh, one of those fight nights, Oh, the epic house. Nick fight night! One of those fight nights, and uh, did a lot of chicharrón. So I just lined pretty much the whole edge of the barrel with Oof. with pork belly, and had that be uh, an appetizer a thing, and also some ribs. How did that come out? Came out great. Yeah, I came love out that. great. I also had a, a past guest, Luis Estrada, chef Luis Estrada was wow. there, was on hand to try. Yeah, the the chicharrón I love made. that. So and yeah, what, was, what
0: were his, what was his feedback?
1: He was a fan. He uh-huh. he was familiar with the barrel already. Oh yeah? Yeah. Yeah. See that? Um,
0: Chefs all over know about the barrel. All the way to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, all the way to Brooklyn.
1: Again, barrel the BBQ promo code PANKONG10 to get 10% off of your order. Tell the people barrel the BBQ to Ten. Barrel the
0: BBQ. Dot com. ten. That TEN. TEN. means for some wild reason you will get 10% off your purchase. When you go to buy a, buy the barrel, that's right for all of your needs. That's right, and you want to get all the accessories too. All get all the accessories. All of, all of them. Good stuff. Introducing the newest line from Juristate Cigars. Twenty Acre Farm is a complex, refined, and medium body cigar with a super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. Built at La Gran Fabrica. Drew Estate in Nicaragua using a velvety, and I mean velvety, Ecuadorian Connecticut Shade Grown wrapper.
1: Under that wrapper is a sun-grown Avano binder and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa in perfect balance with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. Florida sun-grown is also the name of the farm where that tobacco is lovingly grown and harvested by Jeff Borschwicks, who's the guy you see in this video playing behind us. Uh, on his pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. I have actually been to that farm along with plenty of other cigar tobacco farms in Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic. And what Jeff, who, by the way, is a very nice guy, there's actually a cigar box signed by Jeff hanging on my wall. Uh, What Jeff is doing there is super legit. Uh, So it's always cool to see products like his, which is the only premium cigar tobacco grown in Florida um, in products from a company
0: like Drew Estate. Plus, 20 Acre Farm being a Drew Estate product means it's the creation of Master Blender and Pancom Podcast guest, Willie Herrera. Support our guests and sponsors. Get it online. Ask your local cigar shop about 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate. Learn more about Drew Estate and use their store locator to find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at druestate.com. That's right.
1: I'm probably going to smoke one of those right now. I right, What are we waiting for? Um, all right. So now hard transition, I guess. Uh, welcome to the next welcome. episode of
0: Pankham Podcast here at the
1: Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I remember we were texting back and forth about things that we might want to talk about. But well, I guess
0: the, like, the, the monk the, the, what is it, the... Elephant in the room? There you go. I was going to say the monkey on my back. <laughs> the monkey in the room, the elephant on my back. Um, you know, Laurel is now about two months old. Right. Uh, I, I think since we had Ashley on the show, we haven't talked about that at all. And um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, Laurel being two months old, opening up in a new neighborhood. This is our first time that we venture outside of Coconut Grove to open a uh, a restaurant. Restaurant only. Obviously, we open up the Gibson in Shenandoah, but there's a heavy bar influence there. There's a great restaurant attached to it, and vice versa. But you know, we're opening up a very ambitious fine dining restaurant in the middle of downtown in a part of downtown that is underdeveloped. Um, It is going through the transition and development phase. And I know that statement so well, because when I worked for Michael previously at the Cypress Room, you know, Michael's genuine and the Cypress Room were in a neighborhood that was quote unquote under transition and in a development stage. Obviously that development has already happened. Uh, the design district is what it is and you know restaurants there are thriving businesses there are thriving and they're doing super well they're obviously catering to a certain type of clientele Um, so it's a different type of neighborhood but you know it's been an interesting two months Um, you know i think the kitchen team there has absolutely fucking crushed it we have some some really young legends there that are doing great work Uh, i think chef ashley is doing great work Uh, the food is Delicious, the service is great. The space is by far the most beautiful space that we've ever opened. Um, You know, we did chugs as a shell, quote unquote, you know, like the building was there previously from 1926 and we gutted it and we did it from fresh, from like a whole new start. But this is a brand new building, uh, built within the the last like three years. Um, And that, that definitely was an experience and we had an opportunity to put things where they should go. As opposed to uh, where they just are, and that's been new, and I think it's helped in a lot of ways. Understanding from the restaurateur side what it takes to like build from a shell, uh, and I think how much how much credit people deserve for like making something work when it shouldn't actually be there is it says a lot too. So, you know, Laurel has been great, and I I can't. I can't talk enough about the staff that's there and the kitchen team that's there. Obviously we had some great pillars from area that moved from area to go to open Laurel, Mm -hmm. chef Ashley being one of them, Alessandro being another and chef Brian being another one. You know, those three cats have really done really amazing work to, uh, install great culture and, uh, understanding of what it takes to run a great kitchen And I think now it's just like understanding the business, right? And, you know, very similar to like when we opened at Ariette seven years ago, it's building a community around the restaurant and finding ways to do that, whether it's through happy hour, whether it's through like you live in the building, we're gonna show you some love, or the fact that, you know, Laurel has Chug's Express window that operates from eight to three every day. And, you know, we serve coffee and croquetas and pastelitos, you know, that's a community building experience, you know, something so people know, like, why is this, why is there this random window here? There's this random window here because it's attached to this fine dining restaurant. So you can have breakfast with us in the morning, but you could also come for happy hour and have great $10 cocktails, or you can come at nighttime for whatever, whether it's a Tuesday or you're celebrating an anniversary and have like a beautiful meal. So... You know, something I've tried to um, relay to my team has been the community building process. And, you know, a lot of the team that's here now wasn't there seven years ago or they weren't even there five years ago to understand, like, how much work and how much service and understanding and just getting to know people like that. Community building is not super common. So instilling that into a new property has been... I wouldn't say a challenge, but it's, it's definitely a new thing that a lot of these people haven't really experienced. Because when they joined the team, Ariat was already part of the community. So was Chugs, really. So, you know, Lorel is like this whole new, it's this new thing in a new place that's like, okay, so how do we become what this thing is there? How do we take the things that we learn there and instill them somewhere else?
1: Right. I would also note, in terms of uh, people who moved from Ariat to Laurel. Uh, Ashley is a natural TV interviewee. Oh, man. She I did lo- a
0: pretty solid job. I, lo- I love the, um, you know, I think part of the journey of being like a chef, restaurateur, whatever, is, is making sure that your people that deserve the credit get the credit that they deserve. Yeah. Willingly or unwillingly. Right. I, right? I, I would have guessed if you would ask me that that was a little unwilling. So, like, you know, we've done a couple of TV stints, and uh, my request was that Ashley does all of them, because she's very young, she's very talented, she's super well-spoken, and she's very passionate about what she does. Obviously, if you've listened to the podcast with her, you get it. Uh, maybe tail end of the podcast, too many drinks in. What things, up, what a boy. Yeah. Things get a little more passionate than, than they should be, but... You know, I mean it it's her show and it and it's really for me to support her in the process and to guide her in leading a team and, you know, building a, a great menu and a great kitchen. But you know, this thing this whole thing, the same thing with Manny has been, you know, I wanna give them the tools to be successful. And part of those tools is understanding how to speak in front of people. Right. And I, I don't think we we put enough time and effort into that, but you know, people gotta they have to know why they should dine there right and she's so good at it uh reluctantly and um i think she she crushed all of her tv interviews and and all the things that she did she absolutely crushed it
1: yeah
0: uh we
1: can talk a little bit about a vecino next door well there's not a ton to say since it's no not i mean open, the, i think there's a good there's, amount, there are things.
0: there's a good amount to say like you know the idea was to to become part like rooted in a community, right? And we're there's 27 acres of what the Miami World Center is supposed to be, right? And there's several buildings that are open, but the commercial spaces are not open, they're just etched out. So we are only surrounded by Sephora and Lululemon, and one of them is not open yet. All the other things are supposed to be other commercial properties that a lot of them were supposed to open alongside us and none of them did. That's on them to figure out. Uh, A couple other restaurants from out of state were supposed to open alongside us. They have not done that. I don't even think that they've broke ground. Um, So we are the first. And there's also other great restaurants and bars around us, but not like in the Miami World Center Like, thing on square. So an idea that we had, because one of my passions, at least... I would say passions as in like fleeting wise is like, I really do love to smoke cigars and drinking and smoking a cigar is like a great experience. So we had an idea to open a small cigar bar, uh, make it more cocktail driven, more service driven. um, And there's some really great cigar bars in city in the city, but to add our touch of what area hospitality does. So we created El Vecino, the neighbor, and Nick is a partner. Yeah, just yeah. take a snapshot yeah. of that face and also with tom uh tom lasher walker which is also on the podcast uh create a beautiful beverage program uh, alongside that so you know the vecino is done we are waiting on things um uh, that have stopped me <laughs> from opening um but the space is done and the space is beautiful it's right next to uh to laurel and um the idea is to have an opportunity for whether you're a businessman or woman to be able to come in midday, have a cup of coffee or have a scotch or whatever, have a business meeting, smoke a cigar, have a snack and really just enjoy the culture um, of cigars, which Mm -hmm. is like a very, I don't know. The culture of cigars is like, it's very relaxing. It's very, you know, and people who love them really love them. And that's kind of like the idea to attach that to Laurel. It's more of a finer, Cigar uh, bar mentality yeah. along with a fine dining experience that's next door. Yeah. No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not cars, cigars, not cars. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what Moonshine does. It was great. Yeah. I um,
1: yeah, I think it'll be. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, like from every angle
0: because it's... it's tell me why. Which angles are most interesting?
1: Uh, well, I don't know if I'm going to start ranking them, but I'll tell you, I'll just rattle some of them off.
0: So from the cigar
1: industry side, I think that a is going to be unlike almost anything else that exists in cigars anywhere. There's no, there's, there isn't a hospitality group with a Michelin star that is that has stepped into that space, to my knowledge, right? So, like every time somebody like kind of does something that you could compare, where it's like maybe how upscale it is, or that there are cocktails, or that maybe there's like somehow food adjacent or whatever. Fished it, yeah. Fished it. Fished right. right. Let's yeah. I mean, sure. Uh, yeah, but nobody has quite done it this way. And then like the ones that come closest, because there's so few of them. Like, I think of Club Macanudo in New York City, and that's, like, maybe the closest that I've come to an experience like this. And it just all feels old and a little run down, frankly, because they know that, like, where else are you going to go? In this case, I think that, like, guess smokers can count on that not happening because it's attached to something broader that has a reputation to keep up, right? So even if you wanted to sit on your hands and you could afford to, you because then how that would reflect on right. on the rest of the property. A larger brand. Right. Uh, I think for Ariette Hospitality, it'll be interesting because I think it's not only is it a new space, but it's going to be ex- a huge component of it. The cigar component of it is basically retail where you're dealing and in a lot of ways defined by a product that you don't make. Right. You know, so I think that that'll be interesting. Um, and, you know, how those things are communicated, how that's, you know. Um,
0: so, yeah, I just think it'll be, I, you know, not to discredit what you're saying, because I, I definitely yeah. agree. But it's like, you know, with booze, there's been certain years of like booze brands, like their booze isn't up to par to right. what, where they should be. Right. So and I'm not saying I'm not calling these people out by name, but just like let's say there's an off year of McAllen. Yeah. Right. Like people feel that and we can't control that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I do feel like we have somewhat dealt with it already, um, oh, but not, well, not to that extent, right? Yeah. Because, like, you know, you drink a glass of McAllen and be like, you know, and I'm not saying it way anyway, because McAllen is great. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never had an off year of McAllen. I'm just saying, I'm just using it as, as, as like, an example. If you, yeah, yeah. If you smoke, um, I'm not going to call anyone out right now, but, but if you smoke. Float, float the neck. Yeah, float the Nick one year in twenty nineteen and it's incredible. And you smoke it in twenty twenty one and you're like, well, no, this is not what it was in twenty nineteen. It's kind of it's kind of normal. And that shit has happened right. before. It, well, and I'm not even talking about
1: from a quality of the I, I just mean from a communication standpoint. Oh yeah. Like, cause even at the bars, let's suppose that you do have an off year of uh the Nick Allen. Nick, uh, Nick Allen. You know, suppose that you do have that. Yeah, that's a thing to to manage and deal with, but what I mean is that at Ariette, at Chugs at the Gibson, yeah, we control product. Well, not only that, but the identity of the place isn't the spirits, it's the cocktails. Right? Right. So but in this case, like the cigar identity of it is basically like there there isn't something that you're taking these cigars and then making
0: a new thing. Right.
1: So in terms of like how it's marketed, how it's communicated, it's this whole like thing it's a it's a new kind of lift. It's
0: basically. a very it's a very new world for us. Right.
1: Um, That's what I mean by interesting. I don't I don't even, not even saying that it's necessarily a challenge or a bad thing. Just it'll be interesting to observe and be a part of because it's so new to
0: the company. I do think like and we've talked about this extensively too. It's like the the humans that you put in the space and, and in the hiring process, people who are pra- passionate not just about. Um, booze but are passionate about cigars mm. uh passionate about food passionate about all three things it's very hard people to find i th- i feel so far pretty good with the people that we've hired to run that space yeah. right and and it's and it's interesting right because i always say like i'm a i'm a Fairweather fan when it comes to cigars i love cigars but i'm not like nerdy about them mm. i don't get into like the nuts and bolts of like why this year was great and this year was not this thing happened here, and the sun here. I don't fucking know. It's just that's just not, I. I do food. Yeah. When you meet those humans that do those things, and and they really take it incredibly personal, like those are the kind of people that you need in that space, right? To make that space successful, because you're you're not only providing an experience from here's a cigar, here's a cocktail, here's a space. It's also knowledge. It's also things behind there. You know, like. And I think that's why why Tom is so good at what he does because Tom his knowledge on on spirits is I mean in in the things that I've seen is unmatched so you know from the cigar aspect of it someone getting to operate the space that is that passionate about it also is also very uh, very special I think that's what's going to separate us from a lot of things and and that's not to say like there's some really great spaces in Miami that there's people that are incredibly passionate about cigars what we're just trying to do is match beverage and some snacks Mm -hmm. with that also right it's a it's a whole i think it's a three-layer process that isn't really represented currently yeah
1: yeah uh speaking of of restaurants there's one that closed this is a little bit old news but maybe we want to talk about the noma thing
0: oh yeah you know what, uh, what fascinates me about the NOMA thing? Well,
1: let's just tell people what it was. So, NOMA... So I, I, w- like, I don't... Uh, just... Okay, you go. No, so no, the, you go. You go first. No, I'm just going to say, like, for the person who has, doesn't know what we're talking about, which might be some amount of our 22 listeners... Sure. Uh, NOMA was... They're
0: not closed yet. They're closing Right, in, like, they will be. Right, right.
1: Um, so, at least by some measures, uh, regarded as best restaurant in the world for, for sure. I don't know how long...
0: They won it several times.
1: Super influential. Yes. Uh and they announced that they would be closing in twenty twenty four. Uh and that sparked all kinds of like press coverage and also debate about whether their closing signaled something about the restaurant business model right. and uh unpaid, you know, uh internships or stages or whatever. So, you know, I'll I'll let you kind of take it from there, but for the person who's totally lost, Noma restaurant that is closing, super highly regarded, best right. in the world, uh
0: and then controversial. I I just I simply think we're making this something that it's not. I it, there's no other way to like break it down. First of all, I don't know how long Noma's been open. Do you know? Off the top of your head? I could look it up. Look it up. Noma's been open for a long time. Noma redefined I guess like that Nordic cuisine with uh, what's his name Magnus Magnus Nielsen, um, like they uh, redefined like Faviken, you know they started to like redefine. Opened uh, two thousand three, two thousand three. Yeah. So you're looking at twenty years. Fuck me, man, that's a long fucking time. I and I don't know if it's Rene Redzepi just not wanting to come out and say like, listen, dog, I'm tired. Or he wanted to, like, create this thing and, and say, like, the whole thing needs to be rethought or whatever. Like, people have staged for free at NOMA for many, many years. And they did that because Rene Redzepi was re-de- redefining a style of cuisine and a style of things that was not normal. Oh, fucking Albert, just give me the fucking drink, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was redefining a cuisine, and he was redefining a style of food that had not been seen in in, like ever. you know. So there was a bunch of people around the world that wanted to go learn. So there's only so many people he can have on salary or have that he pays or whatever the fuck it is. So there was a lot of like stages. I know several people that have stage at Noma and said it was one of the most important experiences of their career. One of which is Aquino West that was just nominated for emerging chef by James Beard he's a great dude he runs a great place he cooks incredibly well and he owes a lot of his knowledge and experience to what he learned at Noma right now Rene Rodzeppi coming out and saying that the model needs to be like looked at again I don't know I think that he's a little bit maybe he should just say like you know after 20 years I may be fucking tired and I want to fucking retire maybe he should say that but people coming out and saying like the motto is completely fucked and people working for free. Like, listen, no one's asking you to work for fucking four months for free, man. No one's doing that. If you want to do that, it's your choice. No one is forcing you to work for free. I've never worked for free a day in my life ever. Right. I've done stages at places. I've gone to help people out. I've worked a shift here and there. But truthfully, I've been broke my whole fucking life. So I never worked anywhere and said, I'm going to work for free for three months because I couldn't fucking afford it. I came from very little. So it's not like I can go and say, for sure, I'm going to work for free because I got 10 grand in the bank. If, I, if you were in a position, I would have done age. it. I would have done age. it. Yeah. I would have done it 100%. You know, I thought about doing it, I tried to go work for Sean Brock. You know, I tried to go work for Sean Brock. I had no fucking money. I couldn't leave Miami. So I didn't do that. And Sean Brock is who Sean Brock is. Like, he is a fucking legend. He's a trailblazer in all food around the world. And I would have benefited from that experience. The fact that I worked for Norman making what at that time was minimum wage has gotten me to where I am today. Period. I don't care what anyone says. So, like, I think we're... Because obviously, like, everything is very, like, clickbait-ish. Like, we just want to talk shit about what this thing really is. I mean, I think at the end of the day, NOMA closing is a very sad day. I think that what they added to the culinary landscape of the world has made a huge difference. And, you know, like, I wish I could have worked there for two weeks for free. I would have worked there for free. I would go there now and work for free. 100%. Because now I can afford it. But I, like, when I was 22 or 23, I couldn't afford to do that. Right. So, you know, it, it, it goes back to this thing. It's like, so what's the, tell me what the, what the difference is. What is the difference between going to culinary school, learning a bunch of fucking bullshit, right? For two years, having a bill that's 60 grand deep, more, that you have to live with for the rest of your life. Or going to work somewhere that's for two months that you learn like hands-on experience. And listen, there's a good chance for the first two weeks you're going to peel potatoes. You're gonna peel carrots. You're gonna do shit because they don't trust you to do anything else. No one's telling you to butcher a partridge when you just came out of culinary school and you've only been there for a week. Like, yeah, like, what, it, what? Tell me what the difference is. Why is it? Why is it okay to go to culinary school and have this bill that lives over your head for the next twenty years, as opposed to going to learn from some of the best in the world, and you got to pay for it, like you know i I just I don't totally understand it i was we were super fortunate like we don't usually have stages at Ariat ever, but there was this kid that was a friend of one of my sous chefs that was from Puerto Rico and he wanted to work at Ariat for a week and he just came and he worked for a week and he loved it he was such a he was such a sweet human and he, he his experience was important to him and I hope that we helped him on his journey. That's all I can hope for. listen, we don't have a job for you, especially not just for two weeks but like you, you came, you learned, you helped the team out, you learned from the team, you saw the culture, you saw the thing. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm super fortunate that people even want to stage there. I feel like I, that's, for me, it's a weird idea. But, you know, like th- that human feels like they benefited from that. Like they walked away knowing more than when they walked in. And that just is a testament to that team there, to what Manny does there, to what Oz does there, to what Evan does there, to what Kevin does there, to what Leslie does there, like what all of them do there. So, you know, I mean, I think we've made it like super clickbaity. Like this whole subject has become super clickbaity because it's like, oh, well, you know, like he's just benefited off of whatever. I mean, he's benefited because the guy's, incre- Renee Redzepi is incredibly talented. He redefined the cuisine. I think the world is better for it. And people wanted to go work there, but you know, it's a small restaurant, so he probably only had 15 positions open. So if you can pick from 15 of the best in the world, you're gonna pick 15 of the best in the world, but if you wanna get other people that wanna come learn for two weeks and be better at their craft for it, then fuck it, then do it. Like, it just, it, I, I cannot fathom why we look at culinary school differently than how we look at what, like guys like Rene Redzepi have done. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it yeah so
1: yeah I mean and, and I, I agree with you about the clickbaity thing but you know having like followed the controversy a little bit I think it goes a little beyond clickbait stuff I think that there's like a real kind of divide in in this and in other industries right because we had similar conversations with Nick Zayas about uh unpaid internships and so i think it's one of those things where maybe people in the food and beverage and restaurant industries think of it as like a unique problem to them when it's the it's the thing everywhere right there's always been a thing about unpaid same deal with like newspapers and uh you know whatever it might be um but then like so i think i shared with you some screenshots of things that copper and heat the yeah. uh, that podcast was sharing um and you know, I wouldn't characterize that as clickbait because its it seems since and they're soliciting feedback from listeners who, you know, uh, are also generally, I think, in the food and beverage space. Uh, and there's all this like uh, people attributing like a lot of uh, racial components to it and, and intertwining it with like it's basically a political divide is what it is. Right. It's really less of an industry thing and more of a political divide because if you ask some of those same people who have a problem with you know, NOMA using uh, unpaid stages, they would have the same things to say about what people's rights ought to be in any industry where there's an sure. unpaid internship.
0: You know, like, I think at the end of the day, like, I give zero fucks about the politics of it. Right. I care about, like, what have you learned? And I, and I would ask those people, like, what's the difference between going to school and literally getting a degree that's worth fuck all? And going, like, and getting hands-on experience right. in a place that's actually going to benefit you in the future.
1: Well, but, but I mean, my, my point about it being a political thing is, I mean, you, you may not want to engage in the political thing, but at some point when you have, like, a, you know, people who are... Uh, very deliberately and it's it's not an accusatory thing like if you're taking but but
0: it it goes back to the clickbait thing though because like that is it's a hot button subject in today's world right like right right uh, all this stuff is like a hot button subject in today's world but i think that
1: a lot of these people actually do give a shit and they actually do they they do have this they're coming at it from a from a philosophy of like that they're motivated not if i'm being generous to them because clickbait i think supposes that all they want is the clicks, but I think some of these people actually top talk, ten Nordic
0: cuisine. Yeah, but I
1: think some of these people are actually engaging in this issue and and uh, sort of protesting against this sort of thing because they want to see the industry change, and that's a political thing that whether you or anybody else, you know, uh, agrees with it or not, or care. At some point, it becomes relevant to your life. But the
0: industry has changed, man. No, I mean, right, it, of course. I mean, it's cha- it's changed a ton, and like if we if we as as much as We can say, like, the industry was fucked, because, listen, once upon a time, it was super fucked. Like, it's it's not, there's no way to get around that, but a lot of industries were fucked, right? The industry was fucked. People have made changes. If we can't sit back and say, like, if we can't at least appreciate the changes that have happened already, then where the fuck are we? We're just going to keep on bitching for the next 20 fucking years? Like, I don't understand it. Like. We, we are complaining about things that people are, I, I think people are making an honest effort to change, but like Rome wasn't built in a day.
1: Well, but what I'm saying is that I, I think that a lot of the discussion around this, especially on the other side of it, on the side that, that would oppose this, that's geared toward actual change in the form of, like I, wouldn't, I would be shocked if most of these people didn't want to see actually like laws barring stages that don't get paid, right? So, 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 so I, think, I think they would argue, like, yeah, we are trying to get something to change. And,
0: and look, if you want to make a law, that's cool. The laws are fine. But what's to say, like, if I want to go somewhere and I want to learn from somebody, right? Because they're right. obviously much better at their job than I am. Right. And I'm 24 years old. And I want to go spend two weeks in New York or right, right. wherever the fuck, right? Yeah. So now you're telling me I can't do that? That's the thing. So, yeah, I mean. So, so now you're telling me, like, I, I get your gripe. I get your thing. Right. What also I don't understand is that people do these things like they, they just they want to do them. It's like totally they, willing. It, like, it, it's not someone saying, like, you got to go do this, Taj. Yeah. You have to go do this, Taj. Fuck you. If you don't want to do it, then you're not going to get hired. What the fuck? I, like, I, I don't understand. It, like, it, no it, assumes,
1: it assumes that there can only be value when money's involved. Right? right. When the side that you're expressing and that I agree with is... No, actually, on the contrary, like I'm, we're making a trade and there may not be paper currency involved, but I'm giving you my time even, and you're giving me an experience that's more valuable to me than my time was, because otherwise I wouldn't be giving you my time in exchange.
0: Even paper currency wise. So like, you know, I was a sous chef way too early at a at a shitty restaurant that still exists. And um, I made a decision to go from making like, I don't know, at that time it was like 48, 45 grand a year or something like that. And going to make nine bucks an hour. Because I was going to work for one of the best chefs that I, I mean, I believed it was one of the best chefs in the world. And that experience, you know, obviously I, I didn't get back to that monetary value for a decade, right? But that decade of work and that decade of time and that decade of things put me in a position to be where I am today. And it's like, I, I wouldn't take that back for anything in the world. Like, sure, so if you want to pay me, like, minimum wage, all right, cool. Like, that, that's fine. Like, I don't really care. But at the end of the day, like, I needed that experience. Right. That, that experience molded me to be who I am today. And, and I, if anyone told me I couldn't do that, I mean, obviously I was getting paid, not a lot. But, you know, it's better than owing people 80 grand for a subpart program so a group of 30 kids can watch one person butcher a chicken. Right. And now 99% of the kids that walk into my kitchens don't even know how to butcher a chicken is fucking absurd. It's crazy that I've heard you say that a bunch of times and that's and wild it, to me.
1: Well, it's true. Like, it, it, especially wild to me because you would think if you have any interest in it that you would have done it at home. Like, I've butchered chickens at home a bunch of times. I'm not saying that I'm the best at it. Right. But I'm not, like, as oblivious as you seem to be suggesting some people are coming
0: in. Some, some are uh, not only just oblivious, they're entitled.
1: They're entitled. Because they imagine, like, I went to culinary school, so right. I'm above butchering chickens now.
0: Well, not, not only that you're above, like, you just, I don't need to know, because you can buy from any large commodity, broadliner, you know, chicken thighs and chicken breasts and airline chicken breast and this and that. And you can just buy cages. and you. Why can't you just buy a case of chicken and butcher it yourself? Right. You know, like, that's the kind of shit to me that, I don't know, man, the staging process is important. You learn a lot in that process. You, you grow a lot in that process. So, yeah. you know, I, I obviously know, like, what they did at NOMA was extensive. You know, like, the amount of people that worked there, the amount of people that put a lot of time and effort there and that worked for free there. And I'm sure a lot of people, not just Aquino and the people that I know, like, benefited a ton from what was taught there yeah you know that style of food wasn't totally always my thing i had a hundred percent respect for it and i think that they did amazing stuff um i don't know how renee rezebi is as a boss i don't know how he is to work with i can't talk to any of that and i don't care to yeah that's not that's not really what we're talking about to be clear, i mean
1: they were they were influential well beyond their cuisine too right i mean
0: yeah i mean you know they, they did a lot of You know, there was a time that like the Rene Redzepi and the David Changs of the world, like they ran the culinary world. Obviously when Tony Bourdain was still alive, like those were like, those were some of the biggest names in the world, you know? And they had a lot of influence outside of their own kitchens. And I'm sure that that helped them a ton when it came to like getting people in there to work or whatever. But I would really love to know if like the people that worked there, like did you benefit or did you not? Right. And really, a lot of the time is like if you benefited, did you put in the time and effort to benefit from it? Yeah. Reality.
1: I just hope that if the side of things that is so opposed to unpaid work has its way and there's some kind of like, you know, retribution and redistribution that, you know, we end up with some of Chang's podcast money. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think he would be in his po- in his position podcasting if not for all these free laborers. Yeah, you know they really are responsible for his success, and I want some of that podcast. Money, I don't so. know. He's a good talker, man. I don't he like. Lo- I don't like.
0: Yeah, everyone knows. I don't love David Chang. Like, yeah. I don't think that. Uh, you know, I, I do really appreciate his food. I've I've eaten his food a ton, and, and honestly, one of the biggest things that I can always take away from David Chang's food is like, no matter where I go, it's always pretty fucking solid. Yeah, he's also a good ad reader, which I am not. So, you know, I'll give him that leg up on me. But, you know, just like, like, uh, the guy has a lot of, like, really solid talents on his own, too, that has nothing to do with everything that happens in his restaurants. Yeah. yeah. You know, like a a lot of, I think, valued information that people think valuable, albeit I may not agree with 90% of it, but, like, you know, good stuff. Yeah. All right, now...
1: Hard shift, because I know we wanted to keep it to like 45 and we're 41. Oh yeah, We haven't done this in a, quite a while. I think that this is roughly timed well. Uh, I don't think we've talked about the Miami Dolphins since before the season. So well, today, is it,
0: today is a very big day. Yeah, Vic Fangio was just hired today as the—oh, uh, man, Nick, you're a mess. Go on. Are go you ahead, good? Go um, as the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins, which is a big thing. I really do think the Dolphins would still be playing today if we had a better defensive coordinator, and Tua was still playing. Um, Vic Fangio is like probably one of the bigger defensive minds in the world when it comes to American football. And uh, we signed him today to a three-year contract, and I am fucking pumped. I'm pumped. I got to tell you that the the Dolphins-Bills game, it shows... That the Bills were not really that good because the Dolphins only lost by three against a team like the Bills, and we we're playing our third string quarterback. And, you know, like I'm I'm pretty, I'm not like a light at the end of the tunnel person. Everyone knows. But man, they played a really good last game. I watched that last game by myself in this warehouse alone. Alone. And I was like, fuck I was flipping tables. I was fucking. You know, irate, I was it was a lot. That being said, you know, everything is everything. i am I am pushing for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl this year. Obviously, Brittany Rothwell, a good friend of mine, is a big Eagles fan. Uh, I'm pushing for her to bring the chip home um, because they are still in the tournament. They are actually playing right now behind us. I don't know what's happening. Brock Purdy's gotten injured. I don't know if he's playing again. Things are happening. Yeah, things are happening so i feel pretty good about it um you know uh, it's it's a very tough it's a very it's it's very tough like it's hard to be a dolphin fan it's very hard to be a dolphin fan but you know you live and you die with 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 your colors so I'm you live and like you
1: that. die with your colors what yeah. a name for this episode <laughs> eh? Um, on a on a related note just because it's also football uh, I won't have you you can comment I guess if you want but uh, I have followed the story of Ed Reed uh, and all of his drama with uh, Bethune Cookman University Uh, I messaged Ed told me thank you bro thank you bro Um, it is great every time he's DJing on Instagram live and I get on it goes what's
0: up Nick (laughs) <laughs> Ed is a great human.
1: Yeah. So um, I will say I think that, re- you know, these are like um, the story roughly is Ed Reed, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Bancom Podcast Hall of Famer. Um, Miami Hurricane Hall of Famer. Right. Was, uh, was basically in line to be the head coach at Bethune-Cookman University. Um, and he goes over there, does some Instagram Live stuff that pisses off the administration. Uh, and they don't give him his contract. They come out and say that he's withdrawing his name. He comes out and says he's not withdrawing his name. They just don't want him there, and it turns into this whole thing um, with all kinds of other details. Uh, I think what's most interesting to me is the aspect of it where, like, regardless of what you think of Ed Reed's complaints and criticisms of the program, of the school, of the administration, it's very clear that they... Like, the biggest problem is that he's criticizing, right? And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is happening with an HBCU. Not because it's HBCUs specifically, but I think whether it's HBCUs or institutions that uh, are religious in nature, like when it's such a... Very specific It's like a sacred cow sort of institution because they play such a role in the culture that when people suggest... Like, hey, something's wrong here. Right. People sort of rush to defend it. And Ed obviously cares about HPCUs, and his approach is very different. Because I care, I want to criticize it and make it better. But there's a whole crop of people, whether it's you know, schools like that, dude, even the high schools that we went to, especially the high school that I went to, because it's like even more Cuban and like identity. Like it's, you know, it had the same name in Cuba. So I think there's an element of like, if people thought Belen was going to die, they would rush to it in part out of this like Cuban thing. Like we can't let this Cuban thing die. As an example, right? And and I think that the world needs more Ed Reeds who are willing to like even if it pisses some people off, even if it costs them some opportunities. Who are I mean, willing- Ed
0: is not scared to piss anyone off.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like I, and part of what I told him in my message to him was like, obviously I don't know all the details. I'm not going to tell you you're right and bullshit you, but like I've been watching this so much and like what's very clear is that you obviously give a fuck. Yeah. And these people are trying to make you out to be like some kind of a villain instead of just saying like, no, the thing he did is not right for our school. And like, sorry, but get out of here.
0: They could have just said that. I mean, he just he uh, I mean, he put on blast the things that needed to be put on blast. Right. Yeah, Yeah. You know, like he he told people what what no one would really know unless they're there. Right. And they didn't like that. And it's like, well, then fuck you then. But honestly, like, he's the one that's right. Yeah,
1: And I think it's also relevant that this is a private university, Mm. right? Because HBCUs are not necessarily one or the other. This happens to be a private university, so there's some profit involved too, right? Which is always the case with universities. Even at a public school, there's big salaries. Even if the institution isn't profiting, strictly speaking, people are getting cut big checks to be like the chair of this or that department or whatever the fuck, right? But in this case specifically, it's also a for-profit enterprise uh, or a private enterprise at least, um, which is not a non-factor. Right. You know? uh, so anyway, I, I think it's a super interesting story. I hope that we get to talk to Ed sometime soon. I
0: would love to talk to Ed again. Uh,
1: we had actually – originally we were going to do a live podcast with him, and, and I don't know whether at the time he was saying he couldn't commit to the date. He already had this in mind, but I know that I'm pretty sure he was in Daytona, Bethune cookman uh, Doing his thing. Doing his thing. The the students at Bethune Cookman have like rallied around him. There's all kinds of petitions. He's not going to get that job, but no. Uh, but uh, like, Ed, come back to
0: Punko podcast. Let's back. talk. You can be the head coach here. We could talk shit about Shannon Sharp all day. I'm That's ready. Right.
1: He's got a whole Shannon Sharp thing. Yeah, too. we could
0: talk shit about Shannon Sharp all day. I'm super ready for that. You know him and his cardigan trying LeBron James or whoever the fuck it was trying. Like, I'm super ready. Stephen Adams. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who it was. But I'm super ready to talk shit about his cardigan. I'll actually buy the cardigan, a cheaper, like, offshoot version, and just wear it on we the can show. We could
1: make it like, like a construction paper one.
0: Yeah, I'll just wear it on the show so you could be mad at me the whole time. Oh, okay. This, this is good.
1: Yeah, I know it's good. This is real good. All <laughs> right, so we're going to get Michael Beltran and uh, Shannon Sharp cardigan. Yeah, I love that. I love this so much. Okay, very good. I think we end it there, right? You have well, no, you but let's up? do parting recommendations. Sure, okay, go for it.
0: So, um, I recently... Had a family party and then afterwards we went to go have tacos at I'm probably butchering the name but I think it's called Uptown 66. Okay, it's on Biscayne and 66th, 66, 66, Right, they show boxing matches back there, or whatever. Food was delicious, like really fucking good. Um, the churros were fucking stellar. Like, you know, hospitality was really good. Space was cool. I, I really enjoyed that. Are you double-checking the name? No. Okay, well, you should, though. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I thought that was, that was great. And then all, also just recently here... Uptown 66. Yeah, Uptown 66. And then also recently here at the warehouse, uh, our good friend John Falco of Lincoln's Beard, also punk and Buck Podcast Hall of Famer, I think, if he gets enough votes to get in, um, brought me a torta from Ernesto's Taco Shop. And it was fucking delicious. Nice. It was delicious. So those are my two parting recommendations. Um,
1: Good stuff. I w- I'll transition us into shameless plugs by making my parting recommendation a shameless plug. And it is that you should go back, listen to our last episode, which was the Q&A from our live podcast dinner, um, where we screened Love, Charlie, The Rise and Fall of Chef Charlie Trotter, and then did a Q&A with Norman, which the Q&A is the podcast. Go back there, look into the show notes, and get use that link to watch
0: Love Charlie so that we can get a few, like, nickels. And if you didn't buy Aquapana San Pellegrino or Smith gin right. before that, you should buy it all That's after right. that. You should do
1: that. You should also, if you have event needs, event audio-visual needs, event, event factor. They
0: made us look super official, and I love that.
1: And if you have a restaurant, get your dinnerware from Steelite. That's what you should do.
0: Yeah, they do all right.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, last... Uh, Parting recommendation Saturday, January, February 4th, Saturday, January 4th, Saturday, February, February 4th, February 4th. Uh, This episode might not be out. If it if you're hearing it too late, you need to let Burger Beast know that you want the Nick Jimenez, that you want the return of the
0: Nick Jimenez. Oh, man.
1: Um, it's like uh,
0: return of the Mac, but it's give, re- the return of the Nick Jimenez. To
1: give people a little bit of background, uh, maybe like a few months ago now, um, I opened my door, and there are four USPS flat rate boxes at my door, and each one has 20 pounds of Japanese pancake sauce uh, okono, uh, for, for making okonomiyaki. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have 80 pounds of this sauce, and eventually, Bangkok Podcast Hall of Famer Dave Arvello... Uh, decides to take on the task of being an okonomi broker and finds me a home for some of this sauce in uh, Michael uh, Hernandez from Hungry Yokai. So oh. Mike and Burger Beast are doing a uh, some kind of collaboration thing at Mojo Donuts in mm-hmm. Westchester uh, February 4th. That's a Saturday from 1030 until they sell out of Nick Jimenez's. Oh, man. Um, you can
0: never sell out of Nick Jimenez's. Oh, man. Never. Nick, Nick Jimenez never sells out. Uh last note I'll say is that uh we are actually this podcast has been brought to you by uh old car parts and we are sitting on two chairs from my 78. 78 Dodge How van that will eventually get rewrapped by a good friend of mine uh behind us we have my friend Scott's 70 Cadillac that's probably one of the more beautiful cars I've ever seen my 61 and this weird welded thing that he did for something for work that makes no sense only to him. Yeah, should we bring uh, him in here to explain it? No, because we'll be here for another 45 <laughs> minutes, and um, I love that, and that's what the pig pen is all about. Good stuff,
1: and with that, that's it. This has been Pancom Podcast.
0: Thanks for joining Pancom Podcast here, brought to you by the Nick Jimenez's. You could find them on February 4th. At the Burger Beast pop up at Mojo Donuts. Yeah,
1: and Yo- Hungry Yokai. Burger Beast, Hungry Yokai.
0: Uh, Burger Beast, Hungry Yokai. Boom. Bam. That was great. We did a great job. <laughs>